Section thirty nine of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Monday, April second, nineteen o six. Government of New Territory of Nevada. Governor Nye and the Practical Jokers. Mr. Clemens begins journalistic life on Virginia City Enterprise. Reports legislative sessions. He and Orion prosper. Orion builds $12,000 house. Governor Nye turns Territory of Nevada into a state. Promotion for Barnes, whom Tillman berated. Had woman ejected from White House to be postmaster. Merritt gets new place. Present postmaster at Washington to be made collector at Niagara. Platt not consulted. Special to the New York Times. Washington, March 31st. President Roosevelt surprised the Capitol this afternoon by announcing that he would appoint Benjamin F. Barnes as postmaster of Washington to succeed John A. Merritt of New York. Mr. Merritt, who for several years has been postmaster here, has been chosen for collector of the port of Niagara, succeeding the late Major James Lowe. Mr. Barnes is at present assistant secretary to the president. Only a short time ago he figured extensively in the newspapers for having ordered the forcible ejection from the White House of Mrs. Minor Morris, a Washington woman who had called to see the president. What attracted attention to the case was not the ejection itself, but the violence with which it was performed. Mrs. Morris, who had been talking to Barnes in an ordinary conversational tone, and with no indications of excitement, so far as the spectators observed, was seized by two policemen and dragged by the arms out of the building and across the asphalt walk in front of the White House, a distance corresponding to that of two ordinary city blocks. During a part of the journey a negro carried her by the feet. Her dress was torn and trampled. She was locked up on a charge of disorderly conduct, and when it was learned that she would be released on that charge, a policeman, a relative of Barnes's, was sent to the house of detention to prefer a charge of insanity against her, so that she would have to be held. She was held accordingly until two physicians had examined her and pronounced her sane. He was denounced by Mrs. Morris, by various newspapers, and by Mr. Tillman in the Senate. The appointment of Barnes to be the postmaster so soon after this incident has created endless talk here. It is taken to be the President's way of expressing confidence in Barnes, and repaying him for the pain he suffered as a result of the newspaper criticisms of his course. Orion Clemens again. To continue, the government of the new territory of Nevada was an interesting menagerie. Governor Nye was an old and seasoned politician from New York. Politician, not statesman. He had white hair. He was in fine physical condition. He had a winningly friendly face and deep, lustrous brown eyes that could talk as a native language the tongue of every feeling every passion, every emotion. His eyes could out-talk his tongue, and this is saying a good deal, for he was a very remarkable talker, 
both in private and on the stump. He was a shrewd man. He generally saw through surfaces and perceived what might be going on inside without being suspected of having an eye on the matter. When grown-up persons indulge in practical jokes, the fact gauges them. They have lived narrow, obscure, and ignorant lives, and at full manhood they still retain and cherish a job lot of leftover standards and ideals that would have been discarded with their boyhood if they had then moved out into the world and a broader life. There were many practical jokers in the new territory. I do not take pleasure in exposing this fact, for I liked those people, but what I am to say is true. I wish I could say a kindlier thing about them instead. If I could say they were burglars or hat-rack thieves or something like that, that wouldn't be utterly uncomplimentary. I would prefer it, but I can't say those things. They would not be true. These people were practical jokers, and I will not try to disguise it. In other respects, they were plenty good enough people, honest people, reputable and likable. They played practical jokes upon each other with success, and got the admiration and applause, and also the envy of the rest of the community. Naturally they were eager to try their arts on big game, and that was what the governor was. But they were not able to score. They made several efforts, but the governor defeated these efforts without any trouble, and went on smiling his pleasant smile as if nothing had happened. Finally, the joker chiefs of Carson City and Virginia City conspired together to see if their combined talent couldn't win a victory, for the jokers were getting into a very uncomfortable place. The people were laughing at them instead of at their proposed victim. They banded themselves together to the number of ten and invited the governor to what was a most extraordinary attention in those days, a pickled oyster stew and champagne, luxuries very seldom seen in that region, and existing rather as fabrics of the imagination than as facts. The governor took me with him. He said, disparagingly, it's a poor invention, it doesn't deceive, their idea is to get me drunk and leave me under the table, and from their standpoint this will be very funny. But they don't know me. I am familiar with champagne and have no prejudices against it. The fate of the joke was not decided until two o'clock in the morning. At that hour the governor was serene, genial, comfortable, contented, happy, and sober, although he was so full that he couldn't laugh without shedding champagne tears. 
Also, at that hour, the last joker joined his comrades under the table, drunk to the last perfection. The governor remarked, This is a dry place, Sam. Let's go and get something to drink and go to bed. The governor's official menagerie had been drawn from the humblest ranks of his constituents at home, harmless good fellows who had helped in his campaigns, and now they had their reward in petty salaries payable in greenbacks that were worth next to nothing. Those boys had a hard time to make both ends meet. Orion's salary was eighteen hundred dollars a year, and he couldn't even support his dictionary on it. But the Irish woman who had come out on the governor's staff charged the menagerie only ten dollars a week apiece for board and lodging. Orion and I were of her boarders and lodgers, and so, on these cheap terms, the silver I had brought from home held out very well. At first I roamed about the country seeking silver, but at the end of sixty-two, or the beginning of sixty-three, when I came up from Aurora to begin a journalistic life on the Virginia City Enterprise, I was presently sent down to Carson City to report the legislative session. Orion was soon very popular with the members of the legislature, because they found that, whereas they couldn't usually trust each other, nor anybody else, they could trust him. He easily held the belt for honesty in that country, but it didn't do him any good in a pecuniary way, because he had no talent for either persuading or scaring legislators. But I was differently situated. I was there every day in the legislature to distribute compliment and censure with evenly balanced justice and spread the same over half a page of the enterprise every morning. Consequently, I was an influence. I got the legislature to pass a law requiring every corporation doing business in the territory to record its charter in full without skipping a word in a record to be kept by the secretary of the territory, my brother. All the charters were framed in exactly the same words. For this record service he was authorized to charge forty cents a folio of one hundred words for making the record, five dollars for furnishing a certificate of each record, and so on. Everybody had a toll-road franchise, but no toll-road. But the franchise had to be recorded and paid for. Everybody was a mining corporation, and had to have himself recorded and pay for it. Very well. We prospered. The record service paid an average of $1,000 a month, in gold. Governor Nye was often absent from the territory. He liked to run down to San Francisco every little while and enjoy a rest from territorial civilization. Nobody complained, 
for he was prodigiously popular. He had been a stage-driver in his early days in New York or New England, and had acquired the habit of remembering names and faces, and of making himself agreeable to his passengers. As a politician this had been valuable to him, and he kept his arts in good condition by practice. By the time he had been governor a year, he had shaken hands with every human being in the territory of Nevada, and after that he always knew these people instantly at sight and could call them by name. The whole population of twenty thousand persons were his personal friends, and he could do anything he chose to do and count upon their being contented with it. Whenever he was absent from the territory, which was generally, Orion served his office in his place as acting governor, a title which was soon and easily shortened to governor. Mrs. Governor, or Clemens, enjoyed being a governor's wife. No one on this planet ever enjoyed a distinction more than she enjoyed that one. Her delight in being the head of society was so frank that it disarmed criticism and even envy. Being the governor's wife and head of society, she looked for a proper kind of house to live in, a house commensurate with these dignities, and she easily persuaded Orion to build that house. Orion could be persuaded to do anything. He built and furnished the house at a cost of $12,000, and there was no other house in that capital that could approach this property for style and cost. When Governor Nye's four-year term was drawing to a close, the mystery of why he had ever consented to leave the great state of New York and help inhabit that sagebrush desert was solved. He had gone out there in order to become a United States Senator. All that was now necessary was to turn the territory into a state. He did it without any difficulty. That patch of sand and that sparse population were not well fitted for the heavy burden of a state government, but no matter. The people were willing to have the change, and so the governor's game was made. Orion's game was made, too, apparently, for he was as popular because of his honesty as the governor was for more substantial reasons. But at the critical moment the inborn capriciousness of his character rose up without warning, and disaster followed. End of section thirty nine, Monday, April second, nineteen oh six.